You are listening to the Lighter Side Show audio podcast with Jamie Butler, the Everyday Medium, produced by the Lighter Side Network. Visit and subscribe to thelightersidenetwork.com for hundreds of video episodes exploring wholeness living, energy work, trans channeling, and more. The Lighter Side Network, where the everyday meets the extraordinary. Hi, Lumineers. Welcome to the Lighter Side Show podcast. I'm your host, Jamie Butler, the Everyday Medium. Thank you so much for being here and lending us your ears. Today in studio, we have Colleen Ziegler. Hey, everyone. Yay! And Michelle Waymeyer from Young and Scrappy. Hello. Yay! I can't wait to dive into how you found yourself at such a young age, massively loved, massively in love and aligned with money. Most of us don't find that relationship kind of early in life. But before we dive into that, I know, like I wanted to go there right now. We have some housekeeping notes first. Yay, you say, I know. You guys, Lumineers, you always want to know what's going on. Well, we have it all organized and laid out for you on our newsletter. You can sign up at jamiebutlermedium.com. And on there, you will see our classes, our workshops, our travel dates, where we're going. And we are planning some out-of-the-country trips in 2019. (laughs) From the corner of the room. What, what? (laughs) That's happening. But today, we kind of wanted to know a little bit more about you, Michelle. You are, do we disclose a woman's age to the public? But you are in your 20s. Yeah, I can, I can say it. If you're cool with me saying it, I'll say it. Yeah. I'm 29. <gasps> I know. I'm almost 30. I turned 30 in April. That's crazy. <laughs> Most people in their 20s aren't even looking at a future in saving money. They're not even looking really deeply into their bank budgets, their pockets, their whatnot. They're just kind of rolling with it because they're figuring out. Because what I was taught, what was most important is figure out what you want to do in life. And if you don't figure out what you want to do, then, you know, why are you making a budget right now? Because you don't even know what you want to do. So get that straight first and then do this. And I really think that did not do me any justice whatsoever. (laughs) Shot me in the foot bad. Well, are you doing what you want to do? I am doing what I want to do. So it didn't totally disserve you. You know, at 45, I'm still learning how to be friends with a budget. Yeah. You know, and I could have easily learned this when I was 16, 18, 21, easily. Mm-hmm. Like it, it, and at my age now it's overwhelming. And now I have all these systems in place to be energetically sensitive. And there's a lot of stigma in our field around money. You know, if you can do this ability and you're intuitive, it needs to be for free. Or how can you put a price point on what you do? And so there's a lot of those belief systems I carry. So when somebody gives me money, when I first started off, it was full of guilt and shame. Like, I shouldn't be taking this because Mm -hmm. I can do this so easily. It was pretty hardcore. So now I'm getting back to, yeah, I can accept money. This is okay. Yeah. But we can get off in a deep end on that conversation. (laughs) Colleen's giving me the eyes like, "Mm -hmm, mm mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, we know this. (laughs) I'm just watching you talk. (laughs) (laughs) Colleen has a new pair of glasses today. You look really good. Thank you. I They're like so them. cute, you guys. I like them. So, Michelle, when did you build a relationship with money? So, I would say that, you know, my relationship with money was never bad per se, but, um, you know, starting out, it honestly wasn't great. My, um, after I, I went to college, my first job out of college, I was teaching theater in an inner city charter school. And, 
I was really bad at it. Um, nobody likes to admit that, right? When you're a first year teacher, you're like, oh, I'm just learning. Like I was, I was really bad at it. So um, after my first year, I actually ended up leaving that job. And what did I do? I took that beautiful 401k, my very first retirement account, and I cashed that baby right on out. I got a paycheck from my 401k and I went to Europe. So my first experience with money, if you're listening to this and you're like, oh, she probably never makes mistakes or whatever, um, super not true. I have definitely made bad decisions with money in my life. And it wasn't actually until I left that job, I ended up going to the University of Tennessee to get my master's in business administration, where I studied both marketing and finance. And at that point, you know, this was the first time that I'd ever taken a, a business class. I had never taken a finance class. I didn't know how any of it worked before the master's program. And so I had to wow. literally go to school to learn a lot of the stuff that I learned. And a lot of people don't have that opportunity. And, you know, there's just this sense of, you know, we've never been taught this. Even if your parents were were maybe frugal or good with money, it's not always easy to know how to pass that on to your kids in such a way that's actionable. And so a lot of us just grew up in this world where it's foreign to us. And of course, you know, if you've never juggled, you're bad at juggling, right? If you've never tied a shoelace, you're bad at tying a shoelace. And if you've never budgeted, you're bad at budgeting. It's not because of who you are as a person. It's just because you don't have any practice. And I think too, in a lot of households, you know, it's not passed along. Even if the parents are frugal, even if they are budgeting, they're not sitting all the children down and explaining Mm -mm. how they're doing it. Yeah. Maybe in some, but I think overall money is kind of not something that's talked about with children. Yeah, it's taboo. And, and we, we kind of teach our kids, you know, don't talk about somebody's age. Don't talk about somebody's weight. Don't talk about somebody's money. Oh, right. Do we just hit like almost all of those already in the podcast? It's tri- It's the trifecta. Do we you want to know how much I weigh? Weight. <laughs> I'll tell you. It's fine. I have no idea how much I weigh. <laughs> it's like... So, um, yeah, we just kind of, <laughs> did we not, it got really awkward. It there. did get really it awkward. really built in our culture like that. Hi, my name is Michelle. I weigh 158 pounds. <laughs> I'm really comfortable with it. I and also then, talk about money with people though. So and like. here's, here's the balance of my savings, checking 401k. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I don't have a 401k. I don't have a retirement savings. I don't have a savings. How's that? Yeah. That's good for you to say out loud. Every penny has been put into my companies. Do you have an RIA? IRA, no. individual I-R-A. retirement account. Yeah. No, I have nothing. It's all, you're looking at it. You're sitting in it right now. We're talking into it? You're talking into <laughs> it right now. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? My well, kids, maybe Michelle's going to whip you into shape. Yeah, my kids have a college <laughs> fund. That's good. I did put that first. Yeah. And so that looks really good. But I did not put myself first. And that says a lot about how I manage myself in my own life. Like yeah. I don't put myself first enough. It's crazy. I think a lot of people are scared to put themselves first with their money, right? I mean, we love our families. We love our kids. We love the people in our communities. And it's so much easier to take care of other people than it is to take care of ourselves. And so we're, we're too busy kind of lavishing love on our people to like sit down and build our budget and say, all right, future me is not... You might want to do this forever, but you also want to have the option to not do this forever. Um, so what does my retirement look like? What does my future look like? We don't we don't ask ourselves those questions very much. Well, a lot of times, too, it seems like it's really far away. Oh, yeah. You know, like, oh, I'll do that next year. 
I'll do that in five years. I'll do that. And all of a sudden it's 20 years later and you're like, I haven't done anything because time just goes by. There's a word so for that. Quickly. Procrastination? <laughs> no, well, okay, that's also a word. In the money, in the money world, there's a word for it. Yeah, so it's a it's a behavioral bias. It's called hyperbolic discounting. It's the fact that we prefer uh, if somebody came to you and said, "Do you want a hundred dollars today, or do you want a hundred and ten dollars next year?" You'd be like, "Yeah, I'll just take the hundred." Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of the way that we tend to approach our finances. It doesn't matter that you know. Do you want? $250 a month today, or do you want a million at retirement? We're still like, mm, I'll take the $250 a month, right? That's hyperbolic discounting. It's crazy. Money I grows so like fast, but name. we don't like to set it aside yeah. because we'd rather have it now. Wow. All right. So I want to go back. You, I'll take the to, million. Yeah. I would take the million too. <laughs> then let's talk because it's possible. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go back. You made a choice to go back to business school to get your master's, right? To get your master's. And then yeah. after that, what happened? You- so my first job um, out of business school, because I had studied both marketing and finance, I ended up taking a job at a mutual fund company, which is super sexy, right? <laughs> um, if you don't know what a mutual fund is, that's totally fine. The idea behind it is that rather than investing in like one company's stock, um, it's sort of you're paying a person to pick a collection of stocks and then you buy those in one bundle. So I was working for the company that was basically choosing stocks and putting them into bundles to, to resell to people in a more convenient way. Um, and so I was doing their marketing and it was really, really interesting. Um, through that work, I started working with more financial advisors. And then there sort of came this moment when I realized that all of this interesting work I was doing, all of this marketing expertise, um, and all of this consulting with financial advisors, as intellectually stimulating as it was, it wasn't emotionally fulfilling. I didn't feel good about the fact that I was basically teaching a bunch of old white guys how to sell mutual funds to their clients. And I was like, wait a second. I feel like my time and my talent would be better served working with actual individuals and families and business owners and making a difference in their lives rather than trying to have this conduit of financial advisors who may or may not be doing good work. Not to say that they were all doing bad work. In fact, um, one of those clients I had who I love dearly ended up becoming my boss um, because he was doing wonderful work. But, you know, not all of them were. And I didn't want to serve that audience in that way anymore. So, so yeah, now I'm a, a financial advisor and a financial coach. Um, I work primarily with um, millennial professionals, with entrepreneurs, and with LGBT folks. I know several people that come and see you, each and every one. Like you're batting 100% with the people I know. Come back <laughs> and they are thoroughly excited about their visit with you. Good. And I'm like, wait, normally when I think about, okay, I got to meet with a bookkeeper or t- talk taxes or talk money, like the pit. And your stomach just goes, oh, I don't want to do this. Oh, my God. You know, they're going to tell me I'm doing so badly and I know I could do better. None of that. They were so happy. It was like it was raining lollipops and <laughs> candy and stuff. They were like, my financial planner. Yay. It's an important part of my process. I literally wow. shower clients with lollipops. <laughs> you just, just throw it at them. Bring a helmet. Like the bank. Yeah, it's like that. Well, it's a very freeing thing. I mean, you're giving someone a lot of personal freedom when you, you know, give them that attitude about money. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's one of those things that we want to talk about, right? We want to talk about, but we don't know how. And so when I'm working with clients, part of it is I give you permission 
to talk about money. I give you permission to air your fears. I give you permission to celebrate your successes. And I give you permission to want more. I give you permission to want money. It's okay. So there's a counseling element in there you're working with. Yeah, that's where the financial coaching comes in. I I joke that it's a lot of talking about your feelings. (laughs) There's a lot of feelings involved. The word you just said with, um, I give you permission to want money. Yeah. That's huge. Yeah, it's okay. It's okay to want to take care of yourself. It's okay to want to take care of your loved ones. So hold a moment of silence for that one. If you want to say it again, (laughs) just do it one more time. Just go for it. Hey, if you're listening, I give you permission to make money. Yeah. You can charge your clients (laughs) for your services and the value you provide. Stay on the road, guys, if you're driving and listening to us. (laughs) Please don't wreck your car. Steer back into your lane. (laughs) Take a nice deep breath. Michelle's going to change this for you. Well, (laughs) be the instigator for you to create the change for you. Michelle, how many of your clients are spiritual-based businesses? Right now, only a couple are spiritual-based. A lot of the entrepreneurs I work with, um, I tend to work with a lot of graphic designers, actually, and I work with a lot of therapists, which I think is maybe borderline spiritual. Sure, sure. Okay, so I have a comment to make. Or actually, it's, it probably will tie into a question. Um, how We were talking about before how you have a belief system that money is energy, and I think that we all have that belief system at you know, to some extent. Uh, I'm just wondering who you might recommend, you know, who's influenced you with that thought? Because I know there's so many great books out there on that very topic. And it's a topic that because we have all these indoctrinated beliefs is difficult to grasp. So the more that we can remind ourselves of it, the better. I know at least in my life. Um, So I'm just wondering who are some people that have influenced you with that mindset? Yeah. So I actually already mentioned her work, but I'll say it again because it's so good. Um, So Jen Sincero's You're a Badass at Making Money is actually where that concept came from for me. So her idea is that the universe is sort of this universal consciousness, right? And that um, if you can find a way to become more in tune with the universal universal consciousness and be very clear about what you want and why you want it and kind of put that energy out there on your side, that energy will eventually come back to you in the form of money, which is, I think, a really cool way of looking at it and maybe something that will make it a little bit more um, acceptable for the spiritually minded listeners out there to be able to say, you know, this is not some weird aberration. This is actually just a normal part of the flow of energy. It's just another form of the energy flow that you're very used to dealing with, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. How do you talk someone off a ledge when they believe that money is uh, a material item and is necessary for their happiness or for their success in life? Yeah, so... For me, I would say that I try and remind them, you know, really that good, ethical, wonderful people do good, ethical, wonderful things with money and bad, evil people do bad, evil things with money. And so let's not make it a conversation about what the money is doing. Let's make it a conversation about who are you as a person. So are you a good person? Do you want to be a good person? Perfect. Now tell me what are the good things that you're going to do with your money? 
are you, is it going to be, you know, paying for your children's education? Is it going to be donating to the charity you care about? Is it going to be um, funding your own retirement so that you get a life of, um, you know, comfort after your years of hard work? You know, again, those things are okay. Um, but if you're committed to, to making a difference with that money, you know, it's hard for me to see that as a bad thing. You're like just staring at me I right now. I love this. <laughs> I love the way you're presenting this. I love this. Awesome. Well, I'm also thinking, where in the world did it come from in our culture that making money was bad and that people who make money are bad? Like if you're doing well, you know, we look at them like, oh, well, you know, that's something that I can't do and I don't know why you're doing that and... Do you know what I'm saying? I'm looking at Colleen mm -hmm. like, back me up, babe. <laughs> I hear you. I'm listening. Where does that come from? <laughs> Have you come across it? And, and oh, you're shaking your head. Yes. I'm, yeah. I'll be quiet now. Oh, no. <laughs> I like to listen. Um, so I think, you know, without getting into any of the like socioeconomic reasons <laughs> for income disparity, right? I mean, that's a whole nother rabbit hole we could go down. Um, but I think even beyond that, we get what I call money messages. So we get them from our parents, we get them from society, and we get them from the media we consume. We even get them from talking to friends, right? So if you think about um, the examples that have kind of made their way into popular culture, um, I think a lot of them kind of maybe started from this puritanical belief that it's easier for, what is that quote? Like it's easier for a something needle than a rich man to get into heaven. You know what I'm talking about? No, I don't know this oh, quote. All right, well. I don't either. It must be part of that clearly, financial world quote. Well, I don't know this quote either, apparently. <laughs> Easier to a find needle, a needle like in a haystack? haystack? Yeah, than for a rich man to get into heaven. Um, but it's it's like easier to pass an elephant through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to get into heaven. It's like a Bible quote or something. Yeah. But do you the, think a lot of these beliefs do stem from, uh, probably, I don't know about if the Bible even says anything about money. I don't know enough. It does. But I know that religion does. yeah. Yeah, religion in general, right? It's like you are not supposed to have money. You are supposed to have money to serve whatever religion it is that you have, right? It's it's only good insofar as you use it to give back to the church, basically. We won't get into that set of beliefs, maybe. Um, <laughs> That's um, a whole nother podcast. It is a whole nother <laughs> podcast. Money and organized religion is like a tome that I don't know that I can write. Um but if you think about popular culture, right? So think about the example of, of Ebenezer Scrooge. Mm -hmm. So stories like that popularize the idea that if you are rich, you are a miser, you're not giving back, you're mean to the people below you. Um, and it's so funny. This is such a, a far cry from, from Charles Dickens. But if you're familiar with the show, the kids show, SpongeBob SquarePants, <laughs> there's this this also like really stingy boss. Mr. On Krabs. Mr. Krabs. That's right. And he like doesn't spend money on anything and he loves it and he hoards it, but he only hoards it for himself and he doesn't pay his employees fair wages. Right. And so even in like kids popular culture, there, there are money messages that say, if you're rich, you're really stingy, you're not treating your employees well. So I think, you know, we kind of get all of these, these money messages. These are really common mainstream media examples where we're seeing people who have money, who, who are acting in a certain way, and that 
kind of, I think, conditions us to believe that if we have money, we'll start to take on those traits too, right? But again, that goes back to the like, who are you going to be as a person? You're not talking to your seven-year-old kid about like, well, it's not about Mr. Krabs' money. It's about who he is as a person, right? We're not having those conversations. And so instead, we just have this, this sort of leftover belief, um, the belief that we take on from those money messages that if you get rich, you're going to be a bad person. So you better not be rich. You want to stay connected to your roots instead. God, I never... Be more like SpongeBob. Yeah, be more like SpongeBob. <laughs> He's so friendly. He's having the time of his life on there. Bubbles. Yeah. I he never thought no money. about these characters, <laughs> like showing us that wealth comes with that kind of characteristics. Yeah. So I would challenge you, name one character from a from a book, from a TV show, from a movie who who has a lot of money and who is either really low key and chill about it mm. or who shares it willingly with friends and family. Well, not Daddy Warbucks before Annie. <laughs> yeah, that's that's not a bad one actually. That was a good one. But she opened his Annie, heart. Yeah. 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 Well, I'm also thinking about musicians that make a lot of money and do do a lot of good, but that's not like a character. Yeah. Like you're but, talking about a fictional character. Yeah. But even, even I would say like philanthropists, you know, we're, Bill Gates, I think is actually a really good example of mm -hmm. a positive situation, right? Bill Gates has said he's going to give all of his money to charity, except for some minuscule fraction that he's passing on to his children. But even he's not really in the news about it, which is surprising to me because if somebody had billions and billions of dollars to solve world hunger, I would I would shout that from the rooftops. <laughs> Do you think this is a way, though, to keep uh, a government or somebody much larger structural-wise to keep people in their place? Like if what if wealth was distributed equally and we, we didn't have to struggle for this or think about it? It was just given to us. Would it change the way our confidence is within ourselves and how we wanted to develop our communities. Oh, I mean, I keep thinking back to, we've had a couple of episodes about a fee, fair energy exchange. And I feel like if money was just given freely to people from the government, there's not a whole lot of energetic exchange going on. I don't know. I don't want to be that. I don't want to think pessimistic pessimistically about it and think that it wouldn't be a good thing. You're but thinking equity, not equality. Mm -hmm. No, I'm with you on that. But it, it's something to think about that Are you talking utopia about like a kind of financial community situation. I think that we would do better in a world of trade and exchange, mm -hmm. which is ultimately where money came from and mm -hmm. kind of stemmed from that. But now we can hold our strain or our trade and exchange credits, you know, and save them up for later dates instead of relying that it's always going to be there when we need it. We just have to provide that fair energy exchange. Now we get into this terms of hoarding or lack of or not understanding that there is abundance and all kinds of other things that jump in there. Let go off onto a deep end. I wanted to go back <laughs> because you've hit on some really strong points on how our, our culture sees money and especially how our sensitive, our highly sensitive people, our spiritual people here kind of engage and see money. And a lot of our listeners, our Lumineers out there are parents. 
And I was curious to know if you had any insight or just a few tips that you could say, all right, all right, parents, you might be struggling with it as well, but here are some really good, solid golden nuggets that you could give your children. They call them Easter eggs now. I was like little surprises and out of sorts, but they mean something later. Easter eggs? <laughs> yeah. I've never Easter heard egg. that before. It's a video game terminology. <laughs> a golden nugget Easter egg. Mm-hmm. There you go. Go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so a couple of different things, I think, for parents who are listening. Um, you know, certainly being able to start to kind of separate the the discussion of money from the separation of um like quality of personhood, right? So focus on on growing good kids and then have money be kind of separate to that, right? They don't get money because they're good. Um, they get money because money is is useful in today's society and also, hey, you should be a good person, right? And so some of the ways that I think can be useful to facilitate that as you are making financial decisions, um, you know, tie those financial decisions back into priorities rather than what you deserve, right? So we don't, so the discussion of like, we can't afford to go out to eat right now um, is a little bit different from the discussion of we've got money that we want to spend on other things. And so we're choosing not to go out to eat right now because we know that next year we get to go on vacation, right? So trying to reframe those conversations, um, not to be Um, from a place of scarcity or not to be from, well, we're just poor, so we don't get the things that other people have. Um, Trying to move away from that language and moving towards the, you know, we've got money, but these are our priorities and here's how we're spending our money in alignment with those priorities. And I think particularly for spiritual minded people, this is also your opportunity to say, and our priority is insert good deed here. And so that's why we're doing whatever activity, right? So um, even if it's just giving a couple dollars per month to an animal shelter, kind of bringing that to your to your kids, um, the forefront of their minds as well to say, it is in our priority system to sometimes forego going out to eat in order to make these donations to things that we care about. Um, and certainly, you know, you don't want to teach them that, that donating money is the only way to give back. Um, but I do think that when you start at a young age, um, teaching them that money is a game of trade-offs and that, um, you know, they get to choose and they get to prioritize um, what they want to spend their money on, I think is is a really empowering lesson to learn at an early age. That's fantastic. So do you do financial coaching just in person or do you do it also long distance? I do a lot of it long distance, actually. Um, I do a lot of video conference work, so I have clients all over. You do? Lumineers, (laughs) wherever you are. (laughs) Bilingual? Any bilingual? Like, Uh, I've never asked that before, mm -mm. but I'm going in it now. (laughs) I would say that, wenn du willst etwas auf Deutsch, dann kann ich das machen? So something in German I could do. Um, and Spanish, más o menos. But if you speak English, then that would probably be preferable. Whoa, super impressed right now. <laughs> Especially when you're getting into money talk and any kind of business talk that that language takes a new, gets to a new um, level. Mm-hmm. You know, because you have, the translation is so different. Yeah. I've never given a a financial coaching session in German or in Spanish. This would be an interesting experiment. (laughs) All right, Lumineers, race to the occasion. 
Find Michelle Waymeyer at youngandscrappy.com. Is there anything else that you want to leave to the community before we say our goodbyes? Um, I guess I would just say this. Um, Hopefully you are listening and you have a lot of self-confidence in the work that you do. Um, and you understand the value you bring to people's lives and you are confident that you will continue to provide them that value. So I will, I will say this again, um, please start to think of money as a, as a way of getting some of that energy back. And, you know, I would just encourage you to be very open, um, to accept that gift and that opportunity with open arms. That is beautiful. I kind of wish you guys were in studio because as soon as Michelle starts talking about her passion, the finance bit and the, the coaching side, I mean, your energy just, it explodes and it's all in perfect order. You look like a delicious jawbreaker <laughs> cut in half. It's like <laughs> yellow, Lucy, You just get blue. so aligned like, whenever you start nice talking. anybody's ever said to me. <laughs> you know, it's like, dang, it's, you mean business and you got it and yeah. you know it and I can tell. And like you are someone I would refer a thousand times over to the Lumineers. So guys, we have a diamond in the rough here. Please use the resources. If this is something that you need, if it's just working on belief systems or actually working on the budgets, please reach out to Michelle. It's like you get therapy and financial advice all in one. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not a therapist. True. I'm not a licensed therapist. This is a disclaimer that my accountant <laughs> makes me say. Yeah. But she is. <laughs> I have clients tell me that. <laughs> They're like, this feels like therapy. And I'm like, that's because we have some baggage to unpack. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I love it. Oh, and we love you, Lumineers. Thank you so much for being here. Be well. Have an awesome rest of your day. And remember, it's not woo-woo. It's true-true. Bye, Lumies. Bye-bye.